Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bandari from Ortho Evidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Mo. It's morning. really winter time here in Minnesota. So I, I need this uh, coffee up and shoveling snow for a, a, a long time. The last 14 days, we have uh, snow drifts that are hard to drive around the streets here. So, so uh, I'm sure that this is not an issue for our guest uh, today, <laughs> but I would like to ask you to introduce Professor Rajaskaran. Uh, yes. So uh, Dr. Rajaskaran, I think to well, most of us affectionately known as Raja, um, yeah, is Raja. really, uh, yeah, really doesn't need an introduction. If we spent um, time introducing everything he's done, we would pretty well use all of our 20 minutes with him this morning. But but simply to those of you who haven't had the, I guess, the uh, pleasure of interacting with him, you'll hear him today. Um, he is the chairman of orthopedics and spine surgery at the Ganga Hospital, one of the preeminent hospitals yeah. uh, nationally, internationally. And if you ever go to India with an orthopedic mindset, you must visit uh, Raja. Raja, welcome this morning. And I do hope that you are also finding some chai or coffee or something to keep you, um, you know, awake in the evening that is India right now. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you, boy. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. If I could also add uh, past president of CCOT, past president of the Indian Orthopedic Association, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, as well as deputy editor for Spine here at the journal. And Raja does a great job uh, with these uh, Spine manuscripts. So welcome, Raja. Maybe, maybe uh, if I could ask uh, the first question, can you can you just give a very brief history of the Ganga Hospital, how it all started, and where it is now? Yeah. So, Mark, you know we are in uh, Coimbatore, a South Indian two-tier city by Indian standards, but has a core population of around uh, three point eight million, and uh, for medical reasons, it also drains another three million. So this is in South India. So my brother was a plastic surgeon and I came back in 1991. And at that time we had a family based hospital which was 17 beds and two operating theaters. And it was mainly catering to pediatrics, ENT and uh, obstetric gynecology. So we came back and then we found that the trauma services was very fragmented. And what happened was that uh, people were going not towards hospitals, but towards doctors. And if it was an orthopedic surgeon, he held on to the patient, even if it was an open injury and cross fertilization or uh, working together amongst the specialties was zero. And then we thought that this needed a change. And we brought a lot of uh, I can say innovations because we commonly think innovations is only in techniques and an instrument. But we actually concentrated on innovations in care and processes. So probably what we did was very unique. So we said that every trauma would be seen together, especially if it was an open injury. It was seen together in the clinic by an orthopedic and plastic surgeon. It was debrided together by an orthopedic and plastic surgeon. And that actually led us to think at the end of the debridement. So we started asking questions like, okay, 
we both are here, so why don't we reconstruct? Why can't we bone graft this? Or why can't we do a flap? And we started a new method of orthoplastic reconstruction, or you can call it as day one reconstruction. And it really produced wonders in the results. And this actually made the hospital very popular. And so we grew very, very fast. So, you know, from 17 beds and one operating theater, uh, in 28 years, we are now 650 beds and 37 operating theaters doing more than 28,000 surgeries every year, of which approximately 16,000 is uh, trauma surgeries. We can't take all the credit for trauma because, you know, the road traffic situation in India, I mean, it contributes a huge to the numbers. Uh, but still, we have managed to build a big team. And so we are uh, the largest, probably one of the largest, I should say, in orthopedics and reconstructive surgery in the whole of uh, South Asia. So it has been a good, good run for us, uh, a dream come true. So both uh, both Mo and I have been to your center uh, m multiple times, and I, I just want to point out to our listening audience that one of the really admirable aspects of the way you've constructed the organization is that you treat everybody, regardless of their ability to pay, which is yeah. uh, which which is amazing, uh, and uh, um, and you're, so you're, you're well recognized for this. Yeah. So, Mark, uh, if you practice in a situation like what we are doing, where uh, when we started, 95% of the patients were self-paying. Yeah. And then we realized that uh, uh, how good you are, you are no good to the society if you are not affordable. Mm. Because I read somewhere one sentence which really made a mark in me. A solution is not a solution if it is either not available or not affordable. Mm. So when you are looking, doing an outpatient clinic, you get a lot of neglected injuries or neglected mm. uh, spine deformities. And then you will know that a physician like me has got one of the most important jobs to do every day. That means you are placing a price on the well-being of your fellow citizen and depending upon whether he has to pay or not to pay. And you have a choice mm -hmm. to say, okay, I'm not going to treat you because you can't afford it, but that's not allowing you to go to sleep well that night. Yeah. Or you have to make some solution by which this will become possible. Mm -hmm. And so parallel to building the institution, we also built parallelly many mechanisms by which uh, everybody could be treated. And so if you see our mission statement, our vision statement is to be one of the best uh, academic units in the country. But our mission statement is to say that the ability of this hospital will be available to every citizen in the country. So we brought many different uh, processes into it. So one of the things was the most important thing in trauma. So we realized that nobody has money in his pocket when he has an accident. And so we thought, Many of them were coming with uh, requirements for revascularization immediately. And so we said, okay, in all these big injuries, we will not wait for anybody to pay or discuss payment, but we would just go and do whatever it is and then accept what the patient can pay. Uh, believe me, uh, patients not only paid, but they also paid very, very gratefully. Hmm. And it just built the reputation of the hospital so huge. Yeah. Then we thought if you are going to do this for big cases, why not do for every case? 
I mean, people are really very happy and very grateful when you do this. And I think that's one of the reasons why the hospital grew very fast. People's reputation or the belief in the hospital rose sky high. Yeah. We were able to do that. Thank you. But there is also a science to it because uh, as you grew, the numbers allow you to cross subsidy very much. So the power of numbers, we understood as we were growing in numbers. So if you do 1,000 cases, and if 600 people can pay well, it really allows you to subsidize the cost of 350 people very much, very low at cost price. And believe me, the cost price is very low. Yeah. And it also allows you to operate on 50 patients completely free of charge. So we understood the power of cross-subsidy. Mm-hmm. So you can say, uh, as the English saying goes, rob somebody to pay, <laughs> rob Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, but yeah. Rob, we didn't rob Paul, <laughs> Peter, but we just got him to pay for Paul. <laughs> so, Roger, like one thing, I, I, I believe you and I have had many conversations, as, as, as uh, Mark has as well with you, but I don't believe I've ever asked you this, which is, you know, in a period of growth, there's always a lot of risk, right? The risk is, well, you know, everyone always sees the success at the end. Look at what he's built. No one ever really sees the you know sleepless nights, the the amount of hours that you had, and also probably many, many periods along the way over those last many, many decades where things yeah. were just, you know, where you thought, okay, this isn't going to work, right? How, how did you um, just, you know, I guess without, you know, I'm sure you could talk about this for many, 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 many minutes, but the no one, no one taught you to become a leader. No one, no one taught you to, you know, to continue. Like you, you came in as a an expert surgeon building your craft. How did you find the, I guess, the resolve as chair of a rapidly growing entity to maintain that? Where did you get those skills, or how did you acquire those skills? Well, uh, you asked a difficult question, and it's very difficult to give a short answer, but mm-hmm. I'll be as brief as possible. Uh, so a lot of people ask me, when did you dream of an uh, institution which is 650 beds and doing 100 to 120 surgeries a year, uh, a day? Mm. Uh, I should say, no, I never dreamt of that, actually. I mean, what I actually did was uh, make sure that whatever you did today was uh, very good and be planned very well for the next year. And, you know, actually that when you do that, Many doors open to you from time to time. And you need to grab the opportunities as you go by. It's very difficult. I always tell many of the people who ask me this question, it's very difficult to plan for 10 years ahead because the world changes so much uh, and your team is different and uh, your aspirations are different, patients' expectations are different, the socioeconomic turmoils in the country is so different. So I just tell most of them, do what you're doing today really good, and then it should be okay. But as you said, there were many, many risks that we had to take. And uh, the jump when we did expansion from 135 beds to 500 beds was the biggest jump. People said, you're crazy to do it for a single specialty. You will go down. There is no history of a 550-bedded hospital for orthopedics and reconstructive surgery. It's the craziest thing you can do. (laughs) Uh, But you know, uh, one of the things I have to say is the support that I had from my parents, Uh, not the monetary support, but the support of uh, 
psychological, emotional, and support. My mother always used to say, if you feel it is right, just go ahead. <laughs> I mean, she always used to say, and I also learned from many other, uh, our role models like Aravind Hospital, uh, the power of uh, good intention. So my mother always used to say, uh, if your intention is not to uh, for profit, and if you're not looking at the bank balance or the revenue, but you think that this is required uh, for the institution and for the people and for the team, uh, just go ahead. It will all work out. She always used to say that. And, you know, I, I really believe that. And uh, whenever we expanded, uh, I didn't think of myself uh, only, but also the whole team. And when we jumped from 130 beds to 550 beds, I was actually flying back from London when I suddenly realized that our average age of the team was only about 36. And I realized that we are already full, we are no place to expand. And I just said, if we are going to stay in this place, we are going to suffocate the whole team. And I said, no, for my team, we have to expand because they all have big aspirations. They are very talented. And if we have to give them wings, it has to be a big place. And actually, so we, I took the decision to expand, uh, not for the patients, not for me, but for the team. And you know, it really did wonders for the team because everybody got their units, everybody got their theaters, everybody got their specialization. And they are all shining stars now. They're all uh, world leaders in their respective field. So I think the power of good intention and not to put yourself first, but to think of other things. We learned it from Aravind Hospital. We learned it from many other successful organizations. So I think that was our insurance against the risk, hmm. if I should say. I don't know whether I answered your question, but- No, no you have. And, uh, Mark, if I can just have one quick follow-up, sure. uh, which would be helpful. So yeah. I've asked you this before, but I'll ask it again. Um, as a chair, and certainly as someone who's balancing many, many things, uh, Roger, including mentorship. I mean, you're mentoring pretty well, you know, a, a population itself of young uh, orthopedic surgeons and other healthcare providers. How do you how do you balance your day? And I I'll, and the word balance is probably not the right word, but maybe you could walk us through how you've been able to find some sort of you know um, peace in your day and how you how you organize your day in a way that one might look and say how does he even have time to do any of the many things he does? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Mohit, I think you're coming back to work-life uh, balance, uh, which is very important. Uh, I learned from all the elders that if you are thinking of work separately and life as a separate thing, then there is an imbalance all the time. I mean, it's very difficult. You know, the word balance, I think it actually brings a wrong connotation to the whole concept. When you talk of balance, you are thinking of balancing between a good and the evil, or something bad and good, or something right and wrong. And when you add the, add the word work-life balance, it already makes work feel very bad, and life is something which is enjoyment and really very good. I think this is, uh, I, I don't like this phrase, work-wise balance. I actually think work is life and life is work. And uh, it doesn't mean that I am working all the time and I am struggling all the time. No, I have lots of uh, family time. I read a lot of books. I do some good outings. So it's a, it is just that you have to be aligned to the passion 
and you need to decide early in life at what orbit you are going to play and which is your real passion. Now, if somebody has a lot of passion in music, I would say, yeah, spend five or six hours a week uh, because it gives you a passion, but work for the other day. It doesn't matter how much time you spend on your recreation. It only matters how concentratedly you're working on the time that you're in your workplace. And there is a second thing to it. I think all successful people, when I was young, they always used to think, why are they always giving a lot of credit to their wife? I mean, whether they are writers, whether they are uh, surgeons, or whether they're mountaineers, they say, oh, I owe a lot to my wife. But you know, when you grow up, you know what's the importance of family support. And in one of the uh, lectures which I gave on work-life balance, I said, actually, work-life balance is work-wife balance. If you have balanced your wife and your wife is aligned to your dreams and ambitions, and I was very lucky. My wife was an artist. She was drawing very well and holding exhibitions. But after she married me, she started into health. She did uh, health management and then she supports me quite a lot. So we are aligned into the whole process of uh, building the hospital and other things. So I think that was uh, making it uh, very easy. I think if you are passionate about what you are doing, you are doing new things, you are dreaming of things, you are reinventing yourself, you are reinventing uh, your institution every few years, uh, thinking of big things. I think all these adds a lot of uh, endorphins in your mind. I think it's good to be balanced. I mean, you can work hard and still be very well balanced, I think. Yeah, that's great. That's good. Now, uh, Raja, Mo and I have been privileged to get to know you uh, quite quite well uh, through many conversations and visits. And I, I would like for you to, to uh, inform our audience about your perspective about prevention of injury and all of the work you've done. In my view, I think you are a, you are a patriot, uh, a citizen of India that is uh, really looking out to try to improve things, not only for your local area, but the whole country. So can you can you just, uh, as briefly as you can, describe your, your efforts in, in trying to prevent road traffic accidents? Yeah, okay, thank you, Mark. Uh, you know, I told you that 50% of our work is major trauma, and 80% of our trauma is road traffic accidents. So I learned a few things when I was dealing with accidents. Number one, we always talk of these accident and accident victims in terms of numbers, we say five patients or six patients. I quickly realized that behind each number, there can be a very tragic story. I mean, just imagine a patient who has been married just three days, run over by a lorry by the negligence of a driver, and he loses both his lower limbs. I mean, what is going to be the, but you know, when you read about this, it just says that 28-year-old man ran over by a lorry. That's it. Nobody is talking about the tragedy behind the numbers. And when I was treating these large numbers, then that was really struck me how much each accident can uh, short life. The second thing that really impressed me was road traffic accident was one where the negligence is by somebody, but somebody else suffers. Because we did a study where we found that 65% of our road victims were people who were 
undergoing the accident for no fault of that. So I termed it as not at fault accident victims. And there was no insurance in our country. And sometimes it just brought the whole family down. I mean, children had to be brought off school or they had to go from private to public school because uh, there was one accident in the family and people could not afford to treat it. So I thought uh, it's not enough to do day one reconstructions and some good techniques and that's okay. That's, that has to be done, but we have to do something to prevent these accidents. And I thought we should make a bold, big step. So I went to the public, it is called PIL, Public Interest Litigation. I went to the Supreme Court of India with a litigation against the Prime Minister and the central government. People said, this is quite a dangerous move that you are doing. I mean, it's not good, but I just did it. And initially, the Supreme Court did not uh, entertain that. They said, this is a civic sense. It's a personal uh, habit. What can the Prime Minister do? So I came back with another PAL saying that uh, Article 21 of the Indian Constitution allows every citizen to live to his fullest ability. And there are 200,000 accident victims in the country. And 65% uh, of them are not at fault accident victims. And uh, the Prime Minister is the custodian, so he must be responsible. So by good luck, the Chief Justice accepted this. And there was arguments for two years, and then the Supreme Court uh, set up an empowered committee, which is functioning quite good. And all the major traffic regulations that came, uh, rules that came out of it, is through this committee. And uh, lots of good things have come, like digitalization of licenses and uh, many other things have come good of it. But then I also, on the next step, realized that uh, that is the legal solution for all this, but uh, India doesn't have enough policemen to enforce. And uh, there is a lot of other problems of enforcement. So I thought in the last few years that uh, there is another method of uh, acting locally. So we have started a very uh, innovative, you would like it, Mark, uh, to know that we started a program called Kutti Cops, which means small policemen. <laughs> So we have got 450,000 young policemen, uh, children at school, and we have sensitized them for road traffic accidents. And they have gone back to the homes and said, if the father asks, what do you want for birthday? He says, I want you to be safe on the road for my sake. I want my father and mother to be alive for me. I don't want to be an orphan. Please give me a promise on my birthday that you would wear a helmet or you would fasten your seat belts, you would not speak on the mobile phone, you will not jump a traffic light. And he gets on his birthday a writing uh, oath, a promise from his parents and all the elders. So this has become a very, very successful program. And in my city of Coimbatore, a few days, a few years before, just uh, 2017, I think. Uh, before the COVID, the helmet complex was 21% because it's not compulsory in our place to have helmet. And because of this program, the helmet compliance has risen to 88%. Oh, so people are now not uh, speaking. Of, uh, neurosurgeons are very angry with me, but uh, <laughs> there's uh, very little head injuries. There's been a huge... Uh, change culture in the city 
and we are now trying to increase it. Our state chief minister just launched uh, a couple of uh, months before. On one single day, at the same time, he gave a oath from the uh, secretariat in Chennai and 4.5 lakh students in my city and in the neighboring district took oath with him, which made it the largest, single largest uh, world record. And these people have got uh, enthused and uh, we are doing so. We are doing many things locally. I think that is also necessary because this is a civic sense. This is a habit which people have to follow. And we are slowly, slowly, slowly changing the culture. So I think it will be good over a period Great. of time. Mo, I'm going to give you the last question to take us out. Well, you mean when the, I mean, I think maybe I'll just give a comment rather than a question because I think, <laughs> Raja, you have given us so much uh, already in this short period of time. And I almost feel like we should have a part two with Raja at some point soon because he's got lots, lots to enlighten us with. I think the statement I, I think, which if I, if I were someone to ask me about, you know, um, oh, have you met Dr. Raja Shakran? Um, I think I would simply say, Raja, that there are very, very few giants in our field. And our field is going to move forward if those of us can have a sense to understand what they've done for the field both locally and nationally, and stand on their shoulders to move our, you know, our fraternity forward. And you are just one of those giants, I think, that we all benefit from standing on shoulders. So I don't have much to say except a great deal of admiration for everything you do. And more importantly, all the individuals that I've met who have been your mentees are just exemplary human beings. I mean, they they embody what the culture that I think you have done. So I think there's a sense that, I don't know if you always get this feedback, but I think there's there's a sense of pride when someone um, trains at the Ganga, someone who knows you and someone who has genuinely with a, you know, with a warm heart said that, you know, he is my mentor. So you may not get that feedback often, but I see it in countless hundreds that I've you know interacted with around the world. So that was my two cents. And I just wanted to make sure I got that out today. Well stated, Mo. Uh, very well stated indeed. And I agree 1000%. But uh, there's there's more to a conversation with uh, Raja. And uh, I we, did, we just scratched the surface. And maybe Raja, if we can uh, put you on the list for 2024. Uh, and I would like to discuss some spine topics then. You're, you're, a, you're a leading thinker in that whole field. And uh, we would like to get your your uh, uh, concepts of where things are going and how things could be improved. So with that, uh, Raja, we want to thank you so much for your time and congratulations on uh, your hard work and uh, the, the work of your brother uh, and all the great things you've done in Coimbatore and for the nation of India. So cheers and we at Ortho Joe salute you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. It's a great pleasure. I mean, I should say a honor. Mm. to be with both of you, two people whom I admire and respect quite a lot. Yeah. So thank you very much. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you very much. Thanks, Roger. Great. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay.